Welcome back to Psych Minds Podcast with me, your host, Nicole Plumridge. I'm a board certified behavior analyst with over 10 years experience in the applied behavior analysis field. I've worked with children and adults with autism, learning difficulties, and behavioral challenges. As part of the End ABA series, I intend to provide you with practical tools and resources on how to work with your children, whether as a parent or therapist, to help them achieve their highest potential. For the End Mental Health series, I hope to reduce stigma around mental health issues, as well as create a safe space to talk about healing the mind, body and soul, with the ultimate goal being to help you reach your highest potential. So whether you're a parent, caregiver, therapist, stay-at-home mom, employee, student, the list could go on. I hope you enjoy this show and learn something new today. Welcome back to Psych Minds Podcast, episode 11, with me, your host, Nicole Plumridge. On our last End ABA episode, we talked about what to do if your child engages in escape-maintained behavior. So that is challenging behavior that your child engages in in order to escape or avoid doing something that they don't want to do or something that they perceive to be as aversive. Today, we're going to be talking about attention-maintained challenging behavior. So this would involve your child engaging in maladaptive behavior in order to get your attention. Before we get into this topic, I highly recommend that you check out the free resource that goes along with it. So if you head on over to psychminds.com, click on the resources button and subscribe, you'll be able to download the material that relates to this topic. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. As said on previous episodes, behavior doesn't occur out of a vacuum or out of nowhere. There's always a reason for it. So whether that that reason is to access escape, to access attention, to access tangible items for some sensory purposes, there's always a reason. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what to do if that reason is attention. So if your child is engaging in maladaptive behavior to access attention, the behavior itself will vary based on your child's learning history and their behavioral repertoire. Some children might scream to get attention, others might hit, flop to the floor, bite, act silly. There's so many things that I've seen children engage in, so many different behaviors. So we're not going to spend much time really focusing on how the behavior could look. What's actually more important is establishing the function. So you do want to be sure that the behavior is occurring to access attention and not any of the other reasons that we previously mentioned. So once you've established that, then you can look into modifying the environment before the behavior occurs to reduce the likelihood of it occurring, and then also to establish what intervention you're going to use if and when the behavior occurs. So what consequences are you going to put in place and how are you going to approach being consistent in implementing those? In my practice, maladaptive behavior that occurs to get attention can sometimes be a challenging one to target. If the behavior is easy to ignore and it's not too disruptive, then simply ignoring it might be an effective strategy. So for instance, if a child screams to get your attention, you can ignore the screaming response so that doesn't get them anything and then prompt an appropriate way for them to gain attention instead and reward that response with your attention. 
However, I've worked with children who may initially engage in a behavior which is easy to ignore, but then it could escalate into something that absolutely cannot be ignored. So I worked with a kid who would start with laughing non-contextually. And by non-contextually, I mean there was nothing in the environment that could be perceived to be funny. But he would do this to access my attention, the therapist's attention, whoever was around. So that in itself was quite easy to ignore. So we would ignore the laughing and try and prompt an alternative, appropriate response. But he was also quite prompt resistant. So we would try and prompt him to engage in an appropriate response, such as, you know, tapping our shoulder, saying, excuse me, but he didn't do this often. So if we ignore the laughing, he would quickly escalate to throwing things. So throwing objects, paper, pencils, whatever he could get his hands on, either within seconds of the non-contextual laughing occurring, or while we were trying to prompt an appropriate communication response, he would start doing this. And throwing things is obviously much more difficult to ignore. So we would always try and keep a clean environment. That was part of our antecedent modifications, like what to do before the behavior occurs. We would always keep the workspace clear of any extra stimuli. And we would just try and and have minimal, minimal objects around for him to throw. Sometimes, for instance, we were working with worksheets. And one of the next levels up to his behavior when trying to get attention would actually be to eat the worksheets. Or if he was using a pencil, he would try and eat the pencil. So obviously that's a behavior that we absolutely cannot ignore at all because it's dangerous. But if we stop, you know, presenting the worksheets, then he's going to access escape to the work. And he could learn that if he tries to eat paper or pencils, he gets to escape work. And that was also something that was in his kind of repertoire. He would engage in challenging behavior to escape doing tasks. So this was a very tricky behavior to manage. So sometimes we would try and transfer problems onto like a whiteboard and use a marker instead so that he didn't have access to things to throw or to eat, all the while trying to teach him to communicate with us his wants and needs. But again, if he was not doing that, if he was just trying to get our attention, even in like the negative forms of attention, so not necessarily the praise, but he, you know, might have been motivated to access the negative kind of vocal statements like, what are you doing? You need to sit down. So the next thing he would do was stand on his desk. And Obviously, if he was doing this, we would have to be giving him a lot of attention to try and get him down, get him back in his seat. And there was one time where he actually managed to climb a cabinet in the classroom because the therapist was trying to ignore the behavior since she knew it was attention maintained. But that was done at the risk of him endangering himself and others in the environment. And at that point, you know, when he'd climbed the cabinet, guess what? He got loads and loads of attention because he was up high on this cabinet and all the therapists were trying to get him down safely and all the kids were watching. So it wasn't a good situation for anyone. So what do you do in these types of situations? So first and foremost, safety is always the most important thing. So it doesn't matter if a kid is engaging in a behavior for attention and you don't want to reward it with attention. If it's a matter of safety, of course you have to give attention. In the example above, the therapist should have provided attention in order to get 
the child, or actually to prevent the child from scaling the cabinets. So it's very important not to be too rigid or inflexible with our interventions. While treatment integrity is, of course, very important, it's not as important as safety and simply being flexible to the needs of the child. Another thing with this child that was tricky was that I kind of alluded to this earlier. He, he really wanted and was motivated by the negative attention. So we did lots of assessments with him on this behavior to determine the precise function of it. And he wasn't so much motivated by the good jobs, well done, that's amazing, nice sitting, as he was by the no, don't do that, sit down, don't lie on the floor. It was when we gave him that type of attention, he would just laugh and enjoy it. So quite interesting. So one of the interventions that we did put in place was to pair positive attention statements, so the well done, good jobs, with a lot of tangible rewards such as, you know, toys that he liked, little edibles, so little bites of cookies, or things that he was motivated by. So if he did something well, not only would we say good job, we would also heap on the praise in terms of giving him those little snacks, or an extra minute on the iPad, or a little fidget spinner toy. So we'd really try and strengthen that pairing of the positive praise statements and all these other great things. So this pairing just helped to teach in a more concrete way that positive attention is a good thing to really strengthen that association and hopefully break the association between the negative attention statements and the reinforcement that he got from that. We also made sure not to ignore the early attention-seeking signs. So when he would start with the small stuff such as, you know, he's starting to get a bit silly and laugh. We would pause the work and do something fun with him, like a song or a clapping game, and provide loads of attention to prevent the situation from escalating. We would sometimes even say in a jokey voice something along the lines of, hey, you know, don't do that now, just because we knew that that was a form of attention that he really liked, and it was part of the intervention to prevent escalation since he escalated very quickly and it was obviously safety concern but we were able to fade out those kind of statements because we did the positive attention pairing and that worked quite well with him. So at the beginning of the intervention we also had a timer set off to go every few minutes and when it did regardless of what he was doing whether he was you know doing tabletop work or playing or eating lunch whatever it was we would pile on the attention the second the timer went off so this is called non-contingent reinforcement for anyone who's in the ABA field so he didn't have to be doing anything to access the reinforcer which in this case was attention this helped to break the association and the learning history that he had developed, which was, I engage in this kind of silly laughing, eating paper, climbing or whatever, to access attention. Because with this intervention in place, he got attention regardless of what was going on in the external environment and regardless of what he was doing. Now, the external environment can be a difficult one to control, so I have several stories of working in schools where I've really struggled with this one. And I'm sure any other, you know, BCBAs or RBTs working in schools can really relate. One story in particular kind of springs to mind. So my team was working with a really smart, really great kid who was able to pick up on contingencies really quickly once they were in place. 
But he went through a phase where he would act extremely silly in order to get attention. Now, what was interesting was he would never do it in our classroom because all the therapists knew how to work with him. They knew how to spot the precursor behaviors. So that's the behaviors he would engage in before he would start kind of escalating or flopping on the floor or shouting. So with him, some of the precursors where we knew he was going to start getting silly to get our attention was shuffling his feet a lot, hopping on the spot and engaging these very kind of jumpy actions or behaviors. So we would intervene before he actually engaged in challenging behavior to get our attention. And part of this intervention was to uh, give him lots of vocal and physical praise. He really liked kind of physical attention. So in the form of like high fives, tickles, back and like shoulder taps. So we would do this a lot when he was on track, which for him was most of the time. But we were in a school and when he attended classes with his grade level peers, whenever we walked in the hallways, entered the other classrooms, his behavior, specifically his attention seeking behavior, would spike. He would start sliding on the floor, roll from one end of the playground to another, push furniture around in the classroom, start shouting. And what would all the other teachers around us do? They would provide him loads and loads and loads of attention. So they were trying to be helpful, obviously. But in this situation, the best thing to do was to remain calm, neutral, and deliver a simple instruction to stand up or whatever it was. And uh, that was it. If this was in place and the other teachers kind of weren't around and providing all this attention... This child would simply stand up and keep going. But if another teacher was around, he would engage in all these behaviors. And the teachers would gather around him in a circle, telling him to stand up, let's go, you have to walk to class, what do you want? Uh, Someone get him the iPad, look at how all your friends are walking, the floor is dirty, you can't roll around in the playground, it's not allowed, come on, time to get up, you can't go to your break unless you stand. And there were just so many things that they were saying all at the same time. All the while, myself and his therapists would be trying to tell everyone to just, you know, give him space, leave him. He doesn't need all this attention. He'll stand on his own. But usually that was pointless. So we even had some school meetings about this issue. But again, the teachers thought they were being helpful. And the most helpful thing would have been to kind of leave the situation be. But I guess it's just our human nature that we would find that difficult. And yeah. They would just kind of want to help out in ways that they thought were actually helpful. So for him, this kid, as part of the intervention, because we couldn't get the other teachers basically to correctly implement our intervention, what we did is we upped the reinforcement when transitioning within the school and around other people. So he would have a transition toy with him at all times and his therapists would be giving him loads of praise for walking nicely in corridors and hallways. He also had a visual of his rules to follow when transitioning. And if he followed them successfully, he would earn a token. And then when he had three tokens, so that's equal to three successful transitions, he could earn some time on the iPad. And all of this actually worked really well, especially because he was extremely motivated by the iPad. So this just kind of goes to show how sometimes the interventions do not directly correlate with the function of the behavior. So as part of our intervention, we did include providing a lot of attention during transitions. So this does match the function. He would engage in, you know, the challenging behavior, 
for attention purposes. But that alone did not work. So us simply providing attention, giving him high fives as we were walking, that alone didn't work. So we had to add in another layer of reinforcement, which in this case was the iPad, which has no relevance to attention. But because it was a reinforcer that he was highly motivated by, it worked. So he had a lot going on with his intervention. And over time, we were gradually able to strip it down and remove layer after layer until he was transitioning without all the added paraphernalia of the transition toy, the rules, the token, the iPad, and and such. So for anyone who's looking for technical information, what could be useful when you have a very full intervention like this with lots of different aspects going on is to do a component analysis. So... That involves investigating which parts or components of the intervention are effective and which are just extra and perhaps overcomplicating the situation. And once you've done a component analysis, you should only have the crucial parts of the intervention in place, which should hopefully simplify it and make it easier to implement, all the while still being effective. So just to recap... Some of the modifications that you can implement before challenging behavior occurs involve non-contingent reinforcement. So that's just a technical term for providing lots of reinforcement, in this case, attention on a time-based schedule. So it could be every 20 minutes or every hour based on your child's needs so that your child does not feel the need to engage in challenging behavior to access attention since they're receiving it so frequently from you anyway. Also, you can give lots of different forms of attention. So this can be verbal praise, hugs, tickles, high fives, and whatever else you can think of. It's also extremely important to make sure your child knows how to ask for attention appropriately and to make sure that the appropriate response will get them attention just as quickly as the inappropriate response. So for example, if your child shouts to access attention, whether that's positive attention or negative attention, this may give them access to attention immediately. So at least initially, you would want to teach them an alternative. So let's say tapping on your arm, which would give them attention just as quickly as the shouting would. This is important because children, like adults, will go the short, easy route to get what they want. And if shouting gets them what they want faster than tapping you on your shoulder, then you will likely see them shout more often for your attention. So it's important to make the easy response or to make the appropriate response as easy as possible. In terms of consequence interventions, so that's what you would do if they're engaging in the maladaptive behavior. Some of these involve possibly ignoring the behavior if it is safe or appropriate to do so. So for instance, if your child is crying to get your attention, you probably wouldn't ignore that. Clearly the situation has escalated and that wouldn't be an appropriate response, even if the intervention kind of matches the function. So, oh, the function of crying is to get attention. So technically I should ignore that. But with that sort of a behavior... I don't think it would be the most appropriate intervention. However, if your child is spitting at you, and um, I have had a kid who I've worked with who did this, she would spit to get your attention. That is something that you can ignore whilst delivering some sort of prompt to get them to ask for attention appropriately. And in this kid's case, we would 
hold up a visual of a child saying excuse me in a speech bubble and this would usually evoke the appropriate response from her so it worked. It's also important to remain calm and neutral in the situation so even the flustered or exasperated expressions on your face that could be reinforcing. I had a kid who would make lots of high-pitched squealing noises and then immediately look into the therapist's face. His face was literally inches from theirs to see if he was getting a reaction. And if he saw any tiny flicker of annoyance in the therapist's face, he would start laughing as if it was the funniest thing in the world. So again, simply remaining calm and neutral and prompting an appropriate response was something that worked well with this kid. And also when delivering prompts or redirecting the child to do work or the task at hand, whatever it is, it's important not to be overly expressive in your tone of voice and to use minimal prompting when required and um, kind of providing minimal attention. And then it's extremely important that if and when the child engages in appropriate responses and gets or asks for your attention appropriately, whether it's tapping on the shoulder, saying excuse me, saying hey, whatever the response that you are helping them to you know, learn and to do, you should really have a reinforcement party. So give them all the attention you can think of so that they can really understand the difference between the type of attention they get when they're engaging in the maladaptive behavior versus the rich and fun attention that they get when engaging in the appropriate behavior. So as stated earlier, you can't ignore all behavior and sometimes you have to give attention even if the child is engaging in maladaptive behavior to get attention. But the quality of the attention delivered does not and should not be the same in those scenarios. They would get much less attention for the maladaptive behavior and they should get tons of high-quality, amazing, lovely attention for the adaptive behavior. So as long as this distinction is clear, I think it's okay to sometimes provide attention for attention maintain challenging behavior. That's just kind of how life is, I feel, and it's just full of nuances and gray areas. And there are sometimes many behavior analysts out there who can get very rigid and inflexible where they might say that, you know, you have to stick to the intervention no matter what. Um, it's attention, you know, maintain behavior. You can't provide attention ever. But that's just, in my opinion, not realistic sometimes. And it doesn't take into account the nuance of the current situation. So back to like the crying example, I know I wouldn't have the heart to ignore or redirect or even prompt my son to give me an appropriate response if he was actually crying to get my attention. I would probably just give it to him. So it's important to be flexible with ourselves, with the interventions that we're using, and with our children. So before closing out, I do want to mention a couple of other different types of interventions that I've implemented specifically in school settings. So one of which is to enlist peer support. So sometimes children I've worked with don't care about their teacher's attention or their therapist's attention, but their peer's attention is very important to them. So in these cases, you can talk to teachers about assigning a buddy and having, you know, the buddy deliver praise when the child is on track. And I've seen this work well for younger kids. Obviously, this would be quite awkward for older ones. So if the child is older and let's say kind of, you know, acting like the class clown, being silly to make others laugh, you can talk to teachers about implementing group contingencies. 
So that is the group as a whole, if they all kind of you know, follow their rules and are on track, then they all get to have a break five minutes earlier than usual, let's say. So that's a way of targeting attention-maintained maladaptive behavior without actually drawing attention to any one individual. So overall, you mainly want to be focusing on how you can enrich your child's world and help them access attention in socially appropriate ways rather than maladaptive ones. You want them to engage in behaviors that help them access the positive attention, which can lead to you know, boosts in their confidence and self-esteem. So overall, I feel like this was a more story-based episode of me kind of talking about my own personal experiences and some of the kids I've worked with. But sometimes I feel that's the most helpful way to learn about something, especially in this field where there are so many different nuances with human behavior. And sometimes it may feel like one intervention contradicts another, and things can sometimes get very confusing. But in my opinion, human behavior is confusing and can sometimes take serious detangling before you can get to the root cause of it. So I hope this episode helped to clarify certain situations, or perhaps just helped you to understand that behavior is multifaceted and not always so clear-cut and easy to work with. Uh, if you're struggling with a certain behavior and you're not even sure what the function is, that's okay. It does take time and energy to figure these things out. But once you do, things do get easier and kind of clearer. And sometimes you do have to add in a few of those extra layers of reinforcement before scaling it back down. It's that, you know, two steps forward, one step back analogy. So just as a reminder to access the free resource relating to this topic, head on over to psychminds.com, go to the resources tab and subscribe. Once you're a subscriber, you will have access to the entire resource library which has loads of great visuals, workbooks, organization tools, and so much more. So just take a look through it, and I'm sure you're going to find something useful and valuable to you in some way. On that note, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. While it can take several hours to create with the scripting, recording, and editing involved, it only takes a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. These things help the podcast out so much, and I'd be so grateful if you could do any one of them. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed the show, and I look forward to connecting with you in an upcoming episode.